Welcome to The She Births Show, a place to inspire your birth, evolve your parenting and help you live a life you love. I'm Nadine Richardson, your host and creator of the scientifically verified birth education program, She Births. I'm also a mother, yoga teacher, doula, author and speaker. At She Births, we have supported thousands of families around the world for over 13 years with our unique program. And our vision is to make birth better for every family around the world so that everyone experiences a beautiful birth no matter what unfolds. Not only do we help people have beautiful births, but we also give them the skills and the philosophy to enjoy pregnancy and make parenting easier. As well as our world-class birth ed, taken either face-to-face or online in our app, we also have a free pregnancy guide designed to help you feel calm, connected and inspired as you and your baby grow. We have a doula matching service, the perfect way to ensure you and your partner are completely supported throughout the whole journey. And we have our Soul Mama Circles, which are the perfect postpartum network to help optimize your mindset and design your life in parenthood. Remember, if you like what you hear today, subscribe, share with a friend and leave us a review. If you're a parent, about to be one, fellow health professional, Join us now for an inspirational deep dive into topics with experts around the globe. We hope you enjoy this special episode. Hello, so excited to be back in season seven. Here is our new podcast, which combines two beautiful C-section birthing stories with a she-births mum, of course, And all we love about astrology. Today we have expert Emma Vigden sharing and talking about astrology. What I love about the way she discusses astrology is she makes it so pragmatic and so spiritual. Plus, she relates so much wisdom back to how we mother and our moon sign, which I think offers great insights for us in our families In this episode, we take a deep dive into her new book, which is called The Astrology of You. We explore our unique ways of thinking and feeling dictated by the stars, as well as the critical south and north nodes that reveal our evolutionary soul journey. Grab her book quickly as it's already being reprinted and translated around the world. The Astrology of You, Finding Love, Creativity and Soul Purpose in your birth chart is available in on Booktopia. And you can also cast your chart, discover your sun, moon, rising and your nodes and learn more about Emma's offerings by going to theastrologyofyou.com. That is theastrologyofyou.com. Or you can find her on Instagram, in our show notes and on TikTok. Hope you enjoy. Emma Vigden, thanks for joining me on the She Births Show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. And um, a huge congratulations on your first amazing book, your very beautiful book, The Astrology of You, Finding Love, Creativity and Soul Purpose in Your Birth Chart. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's my, uh, my third child. That's right. I was just about to say you've got three babies. I understand that feeling. It's like, I don't know, be a bit more uncomfortable birthing a book in a way, but um, 
I don't know. How was it? How was the process of writing the book? Um, well, I wrote this book while I was pregnant with my second baby uh, and then went through the editing process um, during the uh, the fourth trimester and beyond and it was very hard and very exhausting and I would probably not recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a big, a big couple of years for me, I'll put it that way. Yeah, I'm very tired. <laughs> <laughs> I get it because you've got Plum, who's three, and Sid, a 10-month-old, and you have now birthed a book. What was the calling for you in, in writing the book? Why did you want to do it? I guess um, I just wanted to write the book that I was looking for when I was starting out with astrology. Um, there are obviously a lot of books out there, but there was nothing that really spoke to exactly the way that I was synthesizing the information, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, essentially I wanted to write the beginner's book that I wish I had had when I was just starting out. Yeah. And it is so beautiful the way, I mean, it's beautifully presented and the way it's sort of broken down what you've done is made it really easy to understand like that synthesis you know, I think it's still very confusing to a lot of us knowing our sun and our moon and, you know, what is the rising, but you also add in that element of the south and the north node, which is not included in many places at all, and that really invites in a depth to it. But maybe you can, like, tell us more about the book. Like, what do you hope people can gain through reading it? I'm hoping that it is really kind of a reference that people go back to and hold on to for for many years to come. So whilst it is, um, you know, the first part of it is a crash course in what is a birth chart and what do all of those crazy symbol means and how can I make sense of it, um, the next um, few sections are really offering you um troubleshooting guide to to turn to once you've figured out your sun moon rising north and south nodes um, you can turn to the section that relates to your signs and understand what it is that you need for happy relationships or to reconnect with your creativity when you're feeling uninspired or if it's a, a bigger kind of question around what am I meant to do with my life, then, you know, I go to the North Node and have a look at really what that's saying about where we've come from and also where we're going. Yeah. So that whole life journey, North Node is about like where you're kind of evolving, your soul is kind of yearning to move towards. That's right. Is that right? Absolutely. That's perfect. Spot on. Evolving is a great word to use. It's uh it's a way of reading the North Node and South Node this way is part of a school of astrology called evolutionary astrology, um, which was really pioneered by an incredible astrologist, Stephen Forrest. Um, and, yeah, it is very much about what are we evolving into? What have we come here to learn in this lifetime? And how can we um, connect with that in a more conscious way? Because whether we do it consciously or unconsciously, life's still serving up those lessons. So 
yeah. <laughs> it really yeah. helps to have um, a bit of context, I think, more than anything. Yeah, beautiful. Could you give us a little summary of like what the sun and the moon and the ascending or rising like represents to each of us in our chart? Sure. You feel free to talk all about me too. (laughs) (laughs) And do my chart for me and tell me my transits and all the things I can do. Thank you very much. That would be great. Okay, sure. Um, (laughs) The sun in our chart, that's the, the energy that we're almost familiar with. Um, that's the thing that you would read if you read your horoscope. It's the season um, that you were born under, the sun season. Uh, and it speaks to, you know, what lights us up on a soul level. It's connected to our identity, our um, creativity, and the way that we make sense of the world in a rational kind of way. So if you think of the sun as um, actually illuminating things, um, that's the same kind of vibe of the sun in our chart. It's the way that we kind of uh, see things. And so you'll probably find that you have a lot of friends that are all similar sun signs. And that is really speaking to the fact that you're seeing things the same way. You think yeah. that life is about life's a competition or life is about beauty or whatever it may be for your sign. So your sun is in Aries. And so the sun is very happy in Aries. uh, And it's all about getting out there and achieving and doing and conquering and trying new things. And there's a sense of momentum and um, wanting to participate uh, above all else. So I imagine you find it probably pretty hard to wind down, pretty hard to rest. And be still. No, I'm so good at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the sun and air. Be productive. I feel like it. Like it's got to be productive. Yes, it's like what do do it's got to have meaning. It's got to have impact. It's got to reach. It's got to like, you know, like the sun. It's got to shine everywhere. I suppose. Yes, totally. Um, and Aries is a lot about being first as well. And I think that's really interesting in your chart and what you've done with she-births because it is so innovative. And, um, I mean, to my understanding, it's the first of its kind to present the information in the way that it is. Yeah. um, In contrast, the moon is uh, a reflection of our sort of internal emotional landscape. So it's a lot more subconscious Um, to use really binary ideas of male and female. Um, The moon is the more feminine of the energies. It's the way that we synthesize and process emotion. And it's deeply connected to our body and our experience of um, mothering, both as children and then the way that we mother as well. Interesting. It's really about how we give like to give and receive love because it's kind of our first expression of that and yours is in Aquarius your moon is in Aquarius and so there's a real sense of um spaciousness about that moon so um being quite analytical about your feelings and really like wanting to break them down and analyze them and sometimes probably being a little bit detached as well so it's not that you don't feel the feelings, but you find it very difficult not to go, hmm, what's that about? Hmm, I'm going to investigate this a bit deeper. 
Uh, you're not someone that can just go to a corner and cry and just be in it. No, I like to understand it. And that's, again, why I suppose it makes me a teacher. It's like I really like to understand. And it's through that understanding that I actually feel I can let go. Um, my mind is so big, I suppose, and strong. But I never thought about that in terms of like how the moon potentially is driving or orchestrating how we mother. So mm-hmm. I don't really know much about Aquarius, but like what about for the mums listening? Like is there any kind of connection that they can make for themselves in understanding their maternal way of being with the moon? I think um, understanding your moon and what it needs is really like the cornerstone to having better relationships. And in the book, the the chapter about the moon is called Nurture Me. Um, And, you know, that is in essence what motherhood is is all about. So by gleaning a better understanding of what it is you need to feel nurtured and also how you like to nurture and wording people up around you, this is the way I show my care um, then that immediately is going to improve your relationships because you could be doing nurturing things all the time for you know your partner or your children. And if they don't understand that that's your funny way of showing you care, then it's just going completely um, unnoticed. And that can be just devastating. Um, so the moon in Aquarius is is someone that would really, want to strike out on their own path and find their own way of doing parenthood and not necessarily being willing to follow normal conventions. Aquarius is all about finding new innovative ways. So you can see the shortcomings of traditional paradigms and you can see a way to make it better and wanting to explore that. So being experimental, I don't know whether with your totally, kids. Totally, that's it. I totally was that. And then I think, look, I've, you know, raising Leroy 20 years ago, beginning that journey, you know, there was really very few books to look to anyway. There was like the only parenting books we had were I think Stephen Bidoff's Manhood, like which, you know, is more about boys to men. Mm-hmm. And we had baby love, which is more about like when they get a rash this color, it means this. Yep. And for some reason, I don't know how, we had this book called The Children on the Hill, which was about a family in Wales, like out on this like windy, like cold, freezing sort of hill somewhere. And this person went to visit a family and he was a, a researcher, I think. I'd love to find it if anyone can find it again and he talks about going to visit this mother and father with their three children being homeschooled and no one I didn't really know about homeschooling or anything like that but I remember hearing about their sort of innovation which happens in the moment because there was no real like this is the way we will raise this child or that child or our children together it was literally with each child they were evolving and working it out and following the child and their passions. And this is before like Montessori or Reggio Emilia or Steiner was 
was in the culture. Steiner was there in Sydney, Australia, but none of the others, none of the others sort of child-centric kind of learning. And to me, I, I just read that book and I was like, that's fascinating. We can't homeschool because, like, I don't, you know, got to make money and there's no community. Now you can, like, plug into communities and there's heaps going on. We couldn't do that. We didn't have the internet like that. Um, but I just remember that's it. Like, I'm not going to read any more books. I'm going to work it out myself. And that's what I wanted to do. And, yeah, that's the same as she births too. Like I will just observe and experiment and uh, innovate totally. Yeah. Love it. It's so strong in your chart and it's really interesting as well because your moon is on your MC and the MC in our chart is the kind of the career point for want of a better word. Um, So it's the part of our chart that really defines where we're going to be what we're going to be known for. So your moon, motherhood, nurturing, innovation around femininity is what you are destined to be known for in your chart. And it's in the ninth house, which is all about being a teacher. Oh, and, wow. Um, spirituality and expansiveness. Cool. So That's it's awesome. So it's so, so cool. So that's your moon. And then your rising or your ascendant is um, the way that other people see you. And I love looking at the rising sign because you can go through life that sort of feeling one way, your moon, seeing things another way, your sun, but then other people might see you completely differently. So uh, for you... Rising sign is Gemini. Yep. And I'm already so- understanding it. The moment you said that, I already understand it. I feel it. I feel the frustration of it as well. Yeah. The trap would of it. expect you to be on all the time, to want to talk all the time, um, for there to be this expectation around you socially to connect people and you're not necessarily going to feel like that. I mean, with the moon in Aquarius, that that can be like someone that likes their own space, to be honest. Um, but with Gemini rising, you know, it's this. Oh, Nadine, she's she's she'll be up for it. She's she's always you know on top of everything. She's here, there, and everywhere. And you're like, oh my god, please just give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. Is Gemini like split as well, like seeing the two sides? I feel like when I hear about Gemini, I have a lot of friends who are two of my besties are Gemini as well. I don't, they're not besties that I catch up with all the time, but um, deep, long friendships and loving, caring friendships with those people. And um, Gemini's, to me, that's so much about Shebirth as well as like the science and the spirituality, like medicine and holistic, because it's so much about. It's never about just one, you know, and I was so adamant in creating and innovating SheBirths that it was going to be about both. And um, I spent a lot of time trying to make sure that people understand that the course is about both because we live in this time, in this world, you know, people who are listening to this story are like you and me, we're privileged, we're resourced and we have access to medicine and science We do live in a culture where it is too much too soon, the United Nations calls us, our category, 
Um, but we don't live in those places where they also describe it as too little, too late. We're incredibly lucky. So what we have to do is carve and weave our own tapestry between the holistic and the complementary and the scientific and the medical and, and weaving that to create our own unique experiences and to trust that, you know, and to honour that and to be grateful for that. So that's really such a, a huge foundation of she births for me. And to me that sort of like seems like the Gemini rising part as well. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And now for a quick break. At SheBirths, we believe that pregnancy, birth and matrescence, the sacred postpartum, is an awesome rite of passage. Our free holistic pregnancy guide offers you six months of weekly support. Drop straight into your inbox or within our free SheBirths app, you can get content that will nourish your body, mind and soul. You can enjoy prenatal yoga videos, great recipes, birth affirmations, course discounts and more. From me and my team, the creator of the world's only scientifically verified antenatal classes, it is our gift to you. Sign up today and receive the free holistic pregnancy guide at shebirths.com forward slash PG. That's shebirths.com forward slash PG. I love the way that you have um, articulated that because with Gemini, I always say that Gemini energy is not about being either or, it's about being both. You don't need to choose. You don't need to be um, so emphatically one way. So it's not indecisive in the sense that you're just like a complete scattered hot mess because that is not the case at all. But you are open to things being both ways and being comfortable with ambiguity. Um. Mm. And also, Gemini is the great communicator, and Mm -hmm. that is what you do. Yeah. Um, So, and your your ruling planet is Mercury because Mercury rules Gemini, and it, it is conjunct Jupiter, which means that it looked as though Mercury was coming right up on top of Jupiter at the time that you were born. And Jupiter is a sign, again, that um, speaks to wisdom, spirituality, and teaching, but teaching on a profound level. So you're born to teach and to communicate in that way. And they're all in Aries, so it's about leading, doing things first. So um, that's the beautiful thing about astrology. When you start diving into a chart, you begin to see, you know, repetitive patterns where it's like everything for you is going towards innovation and teaching and communication. Wow. That's beautiful. I think there's something really powerful um, in this element of being seen, you know, through astrology. Um, It feels very um, comforting and it allows me in a sense to be able to relax and to surrender to what is and to be able to lean into my strengths. And I think it, I mean, have you done your children's charts? <laughs> Were you a bit attached to your children's birth date, Emma? Were you a bit like into that before they were born? Can you imagine the pressure 
Uh, I know we haven't gotten to my birth story yet, but spoiler No, no, we can start. I had two C-sections and my obstetrician said, well, here are the dates that I have available. Can you imagine (laughs) the pressure and the stress for an astrologer to be given a selection of dates to choose from and times? Oh, my goodness, it was just too much. Um, But it was a wonderful lesson in the fact that I really do believe that that children are born when they are ready to be born. Absolutely. Um, I could I could try to orchestrate the moon sign a little bit um, because the moon changes signs every two and a half days. Um, actually, my son is right on the cusp of Sagittarius and Capricorn, so he could have gone either way. Um, but as you know, nothing ever happens on time and um, <laughs> so with my my daughter I very clearly remember being on the bed waiting to be wheeled in for the cesarean and the uh, obstetrician running late by <gasps> hours and watching the, the rising signs tick over and <laughs> my husband oh my goodness she's not going to be Pisces rising she's going to be Aries rising she's going to be such a handful um but it just all worked out in the most beautiful, magical way yes. because she is my little teacher and yes. she's so fierce. And I am—I have a lot of Libra in my chart, which is uh, on the opposite side um, of the chart to, to Aries. And so I'm always tiptoeing around people and worrying if I'm going to offend them. And Plum just tells it like it is. And I just live for that. I love it. It is. There's always magic. No matter how a baby is born, they do, to me, babies just seem to choose the time and they choose who they want there and who they don't want there. Like things will happen and orchestrate strangely. And and it's only often in hindsight that we look at and go, oh, what a divine, perfect story that unfolded. So it's just about having that faith. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, yeah. let's come back to the, the book because I want to talk about the North Node part, but maybe we should jump in to, you know, your journey with Plum and with Sid um, and your experience. Like what was pregnancy like for you with the kids? It took me a very long time to fall pregnant with Plum, um, about six years. Uh, naturally, it wasn't until we'd moved into a one-bedroom apartment from a four-bedroom uh, home that I, I immediately fell pregnant because um, <laughs> that's just what happens, right? There yeah. you go. That, that's a good fertility trick. <laughs> Move somewhere really tiny. Yeah. Um, but uh, my pregnancies, both my pregnancies were quite challenging Um there were complications physically along the way with Plum. I, I had gestational diabetes. Uh, and probably the biggest challenge was um, suffering from perinatal anxiety and depression during pregnancy with both children. And that was really, really tough. Uh, I had a history of depression, but it was something that I had learned to manage with 10 years of therapy. Um, and lifestyle changes to really kind of work. And I felt that I was on top of it. And when I fell pregnant with Plum, it just came back stronger and 
um, more pervasive than ever before. And I just couldn't understand it. And from the outside, I seemed very down and despondent. And that was really hard for me and also the people around me to understand what was going on because pregnancy is a time when people expect you to be over the moon, especially if you've been trying for a long time. Yeah. How did you cope with that? How did you manage it? Thankfully, I, because I have had depression in the past, I knew what it was straight away and I sought help immediately and spoke to my doctor and um, started seeing a, a therapist again and having it monitored really, really closely um, and also working with my doula who is also a nutritionist around changing my diet um, and all of those things with, you know, regular exercise and just scaling back on what I was doing um, meant that I was able to kind of work through that and get it under control. Yeah. And did it continue over from pregnancy through to postpartum? No. And that was the fascinating thing. Um, it was just like somebody just turned the tap off the, the, as soon as I gave birth. Um, and when I think about it, though, I, I think, you know, that probably in hindsight, there was a lack, uh, a degree of losing control of mourning and grieving that goes on as you start that process of not only growing a baby, but growing into a mother and leaving a part of your life behind. And although it was not conscious, you know, things were changing and people are not good with change, especially me. And I think that that probably all played a part in it as well. It's so many factors, isn't it? And, you know, I think depression is such a painful, I've experienced depression and certainly melancholia. It's such a painful, lonely, uh, exhausting experience. But at the same time, it can be such a profound teacher. And there are a lot of I mean, depression, I would say, anxiety and depression were my teachers between sort of 16 and 20, which was my first Saturn transit experience. That really set me up for how I perceive the world and healing that set up the paradigm for she-births as well because I realised that we I needed knowledge and I needed science and I also needed to tweak the dials in the sort of alternative holistic complementary medicine area. This was before complementary medicines were really a thing, you know. I mean, I'd end up like at a homeopath, like what's a homeopath? And I would end up like getting myofascial release. And then I started yoga and but diet and lifestyle. And but at the same time, there's, you know, I had to understand it. I needed to read like what was, you know severe anxiety disorder from the latest medical papers from the top researchers and so on um and it was walking both and and take medication and it was walking both paths to me um and understanding that you can tweak the dials so I think it is you know exactly like you express and I think that's really helpful for people to understand that sometimes depression isn't postpartum it's actually antenatal and I would say, yeah, the identity change that's going on is a big part of sometimes our postnatal experience. But, yeah, why not? Why wouldn't it be part of the antenatal experience as well? 
Why not? It's a big grieving, a big letting go of our identity and of control. It's huge. And also that that uncertainty, I think, particularly with the first baby, you don't know what's coming up. And that's, you know, that's terrifying. And I think that is so much um, what she births really gave to me was getting giving me as much information as I could about what to expect, but also preparing me to get okay with plans changing mm. and um, getting into that headspace. It really supported me in that way. Yeah, beautiful. I'm so glad to hear. So you had, with Plum, you were, had gestational diabetes Mm-hmm. And she also liked to hang upside down. She liked to be a moonwalker, yes. <laughs> a little breachy. So do you want to tell us a little bit how you went through that process, preparing for birth or giving birth? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, I had a friend who had an incredible birth, also did she births. Um, she put me onto it and I just heard about her birth that was, you know, drug-free, pain well, not pain-free, but you know what I mean, one of those incredible water births. And I thought, that's the one that I would like. I'm going to go and order that one. Um, And of course, life doesn't work out that way. So I I went from sort of being on a path of being very fixated on everything natural and no intervention and and anything that doesn't look exactly like this is not right for me to, hey, we're going to have to change the plan because you can't birth that way when you have gestational diabetes. The home birth is off the table. You can't birth in the birthing center. Um, It's going to have to be in a more controlled environment. And so there was this um, big shift um, and acceptance that I had to go through that things were not going to go the way that I thought they were going to go. Um, And so I actually ended up changing care in my 32nd week uh, to a private obstetrician and having a cesarean because uh, Plum was breech, I did um, chiropractic work to try and turn her, but um, didn't have any luck with that. I was given the option of the manual flip. Um, yep. And I felt that given how shaky I felt Mm. mentally um, when there was no guarantee that that would work, that that could be something that would be more challenging for me. So I discussed it with my husband and my obstetrician and we decided that for me right now, feeling um, overwhelmed uh, and anxious, that having at least a date where I knew that I was going to go in and have the cesarean was going to help set me up to be in the best headspace I could be on the other side because I was so worried that I was going to have postnatal depression and really, really anxious about not being able to connect with my baby. Um, And so that gave me a tiny shred of control. Yeah. That was really, really helpful for me. And so it was quite phenomenal to think back on my pregnancy journey as to what I envisaged Plum's birth would be like versus how it was completely different. Um, My doula I had all through who was an incredible support 
Anna Maria um, Bolskov. And, um, you know, she came in for the C-section and she was there. And, um, yeah, so it looked different to how I imagined. But I guess that's probably the one common thing about most births. They always look quite different to how you envisage them going. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, we say she births, you know, create a beautiful birth no matter what unfolds. Like that's the intention that we have with the course because I'm trying to impart the doula within your own psyche, you know. The doula always sees the beauty. The doula sees the power in you, the love in the room. You know, it's watering the plant. It's ignoring the weeds, you know, and it's allowing that plant to grow through love and attention, through positive affirmation and connection. And so did you feel like you were able to create a beautiful birth for Plum? Yes, absolutely. Um, I still had my playlists and um, I still have my birth plan, um, you know, a very clear idea of how I wanted things to go um, in in terms of, you know, setting the scene and um, having that skin-to-skin and and all those sorts of things that you can still do when you have a cesarean. Um, the delay uh, cord. Clamping. Um, yes, things like that. There's still so many things that you can do to make it yeah. your own. I still um, had the placenta encapsulation. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the things that you might think, oh, well, that's off the table if I'm having this supposedly very clinical you know, cesarean birth, I was able to still do all of those things and and having Anna Maria there with my husband, um, my doula was just really, really special. And it was, um, you know, just as profound an experience as it would have been otherwise, I think. That's right. And it's about having those people around you to make you feel safe, to keep the love alive in the room, you know, and sometimes it is that setting of the date to alleviate the stress like really we're not wanting mums to go into an extremely stressful experience and so absolutely it makes total sense and I think the love and respect in the room is really the foundation of a beautiful birth absolutely and actually because I was so um transparent about having had depression through the pregnancy um obviously the obstetrician was across it but you know, um, everyone that was at the birth was across it that I was anxious. Um, and the hospital actually assigned me a counselor and she called me before the birth and she said that she would be there for the birth as well. And in the end, there were so many support people that um, it was a little bit crowded and we had to send her away, but she was a lovely lady. But um, it was wonderful and um, really a great um kind of exercise and showing when you do speak up and say, hey, I'm not okay. I do need this support. I am an anxious person. I can't have you talking over me. I need to know what's going on. Um, you know, they're so more than happy to do that for you. Yeah, that's right. I love that. I'm so happy. You're so happy. So the switch kind of came off with Plum, but then in and then going into pregnancy again at, you know, two two and two years later. With Sid? Yeah. Yep. That placenta, man, those hormones. It's a lot. Yes, it is. And now for a quick break. 
Contrary to popular culture, She Births believes that childbirth can be the best day of your life. It is designed perfectly to be empowering, enriching and bonding. An awesome rite of passage. Our childbirth education programs have helped thousands of families around the world since 2008, allowing families to not only feel empowered through education, but also connect with their innate birthing wisdom to create the best birth possible and begin their parenting journey with confidence. SheBirth's unique methodology was scrutinized in university trials and has been published in the British Medical Journal for improving birth outcomes for both mother and child. I'd like to invite you to begin preparing for birth today. Just go to shebirths.com to discover our two-day weekend face-to-face courses or access the online courses from anywhere around the world. That's shebirths.com. Create your beautiful birth with the world's only scientifically verified antenatal classes. And so how was Sid's birth? How was that? process for you? Well, I guess I kind of went into the birthing process feeling so much more relaxed, feeling that I could do this. I knew what was going to happen. Um, There was the decision of whether or not to have a VBAC. Um, And again, I suffered from um, depression and anxiety during my pregnancy with Sid. and yeah, it was just like, hello, darkness, my old friend, you know, here it is again. Um, I knew what to do. I sought help and decided again that the risks involved felt a little bit too daunting for me emotionally to um, face a VBAC. Uh, and so I had another cesarean with Sid and um, it was it was funny. I think it just sums up what it's like, the first baby versus the second baby. You know, I was so prepared with Plum. The playlist was done weeks in advance and the hospital bag was packed and, you know, you just have a list time when you have the first baby. And I remember so clearly on the way to the hospital to have Sid doing the playlist in the car because we didn't have, <laughs> oh, my God, we don't have a song for him yet. Um, so it was all like a bit more. Um, kind of rushed, I feel, but it was in the middle of the big COVID outbreak that came at the end of 2021. And it was very, very stressful. I had to get tested um, in a very small time frame before going into hospital. Um, and so did my husband. And it was just before Christmas when there were those lines that went for six hours. Oh and we moved from testing center to testing center before I went in. And I felt like um Mary and Joseph going from um place to place going we're just trying to have a baby please let us in we need to do this test um and that was really stressful really 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 tough because they couldn't test us in the hospital but uh eventually we got our tests and um and it all went well and really probably in contrast to Plum it was after that was really difficult for me with Sid because no one could come in and see me except for my husband. And there was question marks around whether or not he would need to go and have a PCR every time he came in. And it was at Christmas and I'd never been apart from Plum. 
So I really was in the grips of the the baby blues in those that first week was so hard. I just wanted to be with my family and um I wasn't well enough um in terms of the cesarean recovery to check out. So that was tough, really tough. So were you away from each other on Christmas Day? Were you oh that's intense, honey. That's so big. And I love Christmas. <laughs> did you do it later? We did. Yeah, we did it when I got home. Yeah, got two Christmases. She was yeah. fine. It was all I was like, she'll be fine. She's three. I was like, well, maybe if there were six, they'd be like a bit confused. But like three, they're just going to roll with it. Like you can do anything. You can tell them <laughs> that that's it's hard for us. And the recovery can be hard post Caesar as well. So what really helped you? in the recovery post-C-section both times, what do you want to share with people, you know, around getting that support or what do you think is important? Um, well, I guess with Plum I almost did kind of an unofficial confinement period um, where I didn't really go out and I didn't see anyone or receive visitors um, other than very, very immediate family for the first I'd say at least the first three weeks. And that was great because that just gave me that time and that space to be um, with our new family and to recover physically and emotionally and kind of get my bearings. Um, And then with Sid, we had a kind of enforced confinement period because of that COVID outbreak. And my obstetrician said, you know, if you can limit contact with as many people as possible that would be ideal because we don't really want him to get COVID when he's super young I mean we don't want him to get COVID at all but you know yeah and so that was really really tricky but um just kind of surrendering to that that quiet time and not trying to do too much and I'm a really active person I love exercise and just knowing I can't exercise for probably 12 weeks and that's okay. And we can be up and moving um, because that is good for recovery, but not trying to push myself and roll out the yoga mat at six weeks or, or anything like that. Just taking it really easy and listening to my body. Yeah. And so enjoying, the framework. enjoying yeah. time where you're just feeding like nonstop for you know, 16 hours a day and it's like the twilight zone. You don't know what day it is and you're showering twice a week and just it's just a weird little cocoon and there's nothing like it and it is over so fast. It is. Mm. Yeah, it is a twilight zone. I remember, you know, my midwife coming to visit us, you know, and we're like, it's like you're starstruck. You're like, your eyes are like popping out of your head. You've got a baby, you're at home and like bed, you can't stop staring at them. And like, it's just so mystifying and awe inspiring, really. It's um, so profound. And my midwife just like, just tapping the bed, you know, she'd been a midwife for so, so long. She's like, this is such a sacred time, such a sacred time. And, of course, that stayed with me, but I didn't really know what she meant, you know, until you look back and you're like, yeah, that was. Like that really is a sacred window of time where timelessness 
is key to that sacredness, actually. You know, not having lots of visitors allows you to experience an altered kind of state. It's such an oxytocic bubble that you're in and half the time you want to have your boobs out anyway. You don't want to be like putting clothes or bras or anything like that. You know, it's such a uh, an animalistic and such a, a spiritually charged love zone that really you should only be inviting people in if you're if they're going to contribute to that and respect that or support you to be in that. I think because it really is a very profound period of time that fourth trimester, however long. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's so beautiful. So when you look at your Bubby's charts. (laughs) Yes. Do you feel really empowered, like knowing their sun and moon ascendant north nodes and so on? Can you actually see that in them now as little beings? I mean, you said you can a bit with plum, right? But can you even see it in a 10-month-old? I think that I can for sure. Um, Sid has got a Leo moon and, um, you know, Leo's ruled by the sun. He's just sunshine. He's so happy and smiley and engaged and warm. And um, when he started daycare, he started quite young um, a few months ago, so he would have been about seven months one of the carers said to me in the first week, um, oh, we're not taking care of him. It's like he's taking care of us. Wow. Because his energy is just so kind of calming and warm and he just wants to share that light. I know that sounds crazy to say about someone that's so little, but um, he's defi- he's got a vibe. Yeah. No, I get it. I, I think the essence of who they are is it shines through. And I remember meeting Leroy that first time, you know, and knowing there's like a part of me that knew who he was in that moment, you know, and um, I actually want to do a deep dive into his chart. I want to know, you know, because now I think um, where he is, this quarter life, there's just not enough support and not enough resources for the sort of, I think they're making quarter, they're calling quarter life like 16 to 30. Mm-hmm. even like right through to that period of time it's such a huge experience of transition for mm-hmm. young people they're trying to work out what you know they want to do and how they're also trying to work out how to make money and survive and they're also forming new intimate relationships and trying to do those like it's so intense right all this learning and experimenting and i can see so many of his mates you know struggling and and him too at times you know struggling with it all so I think if I knew do north nodes come into that whole equation like our whole lives are they that evolutionary journey is that always just going to keep coming up is that how it works yeah maybe we should explain what north nodes are more yeah so the north and south node are not a physical thing they're a point in space um and what they represent in evolutionary astrology, which is the kind of astrology that I practice, um, is our karmic past. So what we've brought into this lifetime, which you can think of as past life baggage 
Or if you don't believe in reincarnation, you can think of it as ancestral baggage. You can think of it just as the energy that you came into this world with. Because as you would know, when you are around babies, you realize that they have their own personalities. We are born with stuff. There are things that we don't like from the time we're a few weeks old. That is like totally nature and not nature. And so the South Node really speaks to this energy of what we've been doing or what we've carried in with us. And it's generally, you know, I describe it as like a pair of Ugg boots in that it doesn't (laughs) look so great, um, but my God, it's so comfortable. And you know that it's really not ideal, but also it's the thing that you go to when you just need to go, ah, now I feel safe. I've had a bad day at work. I'm slipping on those Ugg boots and everything is okay and right with the world. But equally, you don't want to run into anyone at the supermarket wearing said Ugg boots. And you know you will. South Node Ugg boots. So the South Node Ugg boots. Got it. Okay. And then the North Node is um, it's what you've come here to learn and it's the path that you have been um, invited to experiment with. And there's no pressure to experiment with it if you don't want to do it stay in your up boots. But you could try your North Node on. And when I describe the North Node energy to people in readings, they always, almost always flinch or have a physical, no way. Really? Yes. And um, so using the shoe analogy or, you know, clothing, it's like the North Node is that thing that you have in your wardrobe that you're like, what was I thinking when I bought that? Like, that is just not me at all. But then randomly when you put it on and you wear it somewhere, everyone is like, wow, I love you in that color. My God. Oh my God. I'm having a moment. You're going to have to tell me what my South and North node is because yes, my Ugg boots have got to that point where they need replacing and I shouldn't wear them outside anymore because like they're falling bits, (laughs) falling off them. And I did just literally go to Bangalore I don't know, I was randomly there and they had this sale and there was all these people buying, it was a spell warehouse sale. Oh, my goodness. And they were just like women who had known about this sale literally for months and they'd had it in this calendar and they were like they were in droves. There was like busloads of them and they were just like women buying like armfuls of things, you know, from spell. And I was like, oh, I'm here. Oh, I'll just have a look. And I just saw this thing and it's got like, purple and pink it's like this half kimono purple pink and planets all over it and I was like is that me I don't know but I just really feel like I want to buy it and then as I'm walking through I ask the girl how much is it and she's like oh I'll do it for like half of that and I'm like okay well that's a sign I'll just you know whatever but it sort of sits there and I take it out and I try it on and I'm like oh I don't know I don't know, I might just put on, you know, a piece of linen or cotton, the plain beige or, br- or blue, you know, but there's this purple pink moon astral kimono in my suit. What does that mean? Please explain to me, Emma. Well, that is definitely your North Node piece. That's a great, great way to think of your North Node. It's that thing that you're like, what was I thinking? But I bet you if you do crack it out, everyone is going to comment on it. Okay. I'll give it a whirl. I might wear it tonight going down to seven degrees for happy hour. Okay. So what's what was my south node and north node? Help me just give me a selfish moment. 
Sure. Your south node is in Gemini. So that reflects a karmic past of being the eternal student. So it often relates to feeling um, restless, anxious, uh, a desire to kind of survey all and sundry before you make a decision about things, kind of over-researching things to the point where you almost get a bit overwhelmed. Oh, okay. Analysis, paralysis, um, and spreading yourself too thin. Mm. It's the shadow side of Gemini. It's trying to be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. And it's in the first house, so it speaks to a karmic past, a feeling like you have to do things by yourself. And it all rests on your shoulders and you can't ask for help, especially from people that are closest to you. And so there's this kind of sense of ambiguity, but not in a healthy way. You know, feeling like nothing is ever done. Well, you can't ever really come to a conclusion about things. Mm. And so your north node is in Sagittarius, which is so much about finding your own path and finding your own journey and, and learning things on your own terms and allowing that to be kind of your own personal discovery process rather than um, feeling like you need to go and read all of the books. Mm. Sagittarius is profoundly spiritual in its highest octave. Um, It's about finding out what's true for you and being okay with the fact that that's not what's true for everyone. Interesting. And um, giving yourself the freedom to explore things on your own terms and finding a sense of depth and meaning in life. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Gemini can kind of numb out with busyness. Mm, That's what my Gemini friends are like. (laughs) My um, meditation teacher called it the pathology of productivity. Mm, interesting so interesting so when you know your child's north node are you as a parent like meant to kind of nurture them or remind them what's familiar or are they kind of going to live into their south node for like the first 20 years and then the next sort of how does it work I definitely don't work with the nodes with my kids so much because I feel like that is something you need to figure out on your own terms. Um, And you'll, like I said earlier, I think life will serve you the lessons whether or not you're paying attention to it. So I don't need to point that out to them to say, hey, you should be doing this um, Mm. because that will all unfold in its own timing. And the nodes return to the place that they were when you were born every 19 years. It's called a nodal return, similar to a Saturn return, which happens every 29 to 30 years. And so oftentimes you'll see the big themes around their nodal story will come up at that 19. I'm not quite sure exactly how old Leroy is, but 
that's it. He just turned 20. Yeah. He'd be, he'd be definitely around that point where he's having a nodal return. So in terms of parenting little kids, the thing that I look at the most is the moon because it's what they need to feel nurtured and safe and secure. Mm. Yeah. And so being really mindful of that. And so my son is a Leo moon and and that means that he's really someone that wants to give so much. He's a real generosity of spirit, but he also needs to feel seen because that is what Leo energy is Mm. about a lot. And so I'm very conscious of that, especially being a second child that he kind of, he, you know, I'm dealing with plum and then I'll just plonk him on the floor and I'm like, I'll get to you in a minute, mate. And he's, he's there and he's trying to catch my eye. And I try to be really mindful of that and say, Hey, I see you. I acknowledge you. I'm here. And I look what you're doing. You're so clever and really give him that affirmative um, feedback as much as I can whilst, you know, working and writing and doing all the things yeah no that makes total sense so I mean I feel like when we meet people or in our families it helps so much to understand not just our love language but to understand you know our sun you know our moon as well as understanding this ascendant I'm not just that but to be able to take care and keep balance of these elements or these aspects of ourselves and to have that open kind of dialogue around each other absolutely I think um I say somewhere in the book that I see astrology as a tool for mindfulness and for self-awareness as it gives you a new kind of perspective on who you are and who the people around you are and what they need and what you need. And when you are able to distill it down in that way, then you can start asking for what you need and vice versa. Um, and it just brings a level of understanding and awareness that can only make for better relationships. Yeah. And is that how you use it in your life? Do you are you looking at the charts every day for yourself? Or <laughs> well, there's a there's a phenomenon that happens with astrologers, which I think is probably not unique to us. I've heard people say it's like the plumber with the leaky tap. My chart is like the last thing that I look at, and in fact, really? I will go through a big thing, um, like I was describing with Sid having that really tricky time um, after he was born and feeling really isolated. And it was only after the fact that I was like, oh, I wonder what was happening in my chart. <laughs> and I looked at it and Saturn was crossing my ascendant. And Saturn can mean isolation um, and, and low mood. And uh, Pluto was squaring Pluto, which is one of the first of the midlife transits, which is all about really facing your fears and um either stepping up to the plate and being powerful or feeling powerless. And I felt really powerless in that moment because I couldn't see anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. See, that's, that's so cool to hear. I, yeah. It is that leaky, leaky tap and the Sparky's house has not got the fixed wires and all that, the sockets open and all that kind of stuff as well. There's one more thing that you mentioned that every 12 years we were talking about that nodal thing have we talked about that enough because I feel like that's really heavy (laughs) like that's really really heavy and people should know about it (laughs) and I know that um 
and it's hard and I think it's really important, you know, when we're going through hard times to to look for support and sometimes we find it in areas, you know, people might consider woo-woo, but actually for me astrology has really helped me across this last year to realise that this is actually a phase and that there's actually a purpose to what I'm going through, this transition. And there was even, um, there's, yeah, people in the medical profession, Stanislav Grof, who is a psychiatrist and uh, a profound healer, talked about astrological transits being one of the most beneficial in allowing his patients to understand um, the unfolding of their their lives because I think often when we hit a hard time we often feel like the hard time is going to stay around forever but what I find when I talk to my astrologer or to you is that I go that's right this is just a phase and it will have an ending and it will move into something else and the learnings from this time will help me for the next part of my journey Absolutely. And and that's one of the most beautiful and reassuring things about astrology is that every transit, which is what we call the passing astrological weather, um, has a beginning, middle and an end. And it, it will pass. This too will pass. This transit will pass. Uh, and so what astrology does when we look at transits and at forecasting is not necessarily exactly what's happening in your life and um, trying to predict the future, but we can see what the weather is that's coming up and, you know, potentially know whether or not to pack an umbrella or take your wheels in the car, metaphorically speaking, Mm because there's going to be some rain. And that's really um, what we're seeking to do with uh, looking into our transits. I think the thing that you were mentioning before the 12-year cycle was um, some a forecasting technique um, which is based on uh, Hellenistic ancient Greek astrology called annual perfections, P-R-O-F-E-C-T-I-O-N, if you want to Google it. Uh, and every year on our birthday, we go into a new um year that corresponds to a house in our chart. So right now, um, if it's okay for me to share, Nadine, you're in a yeah, twelfth house. I'm writing down these notes because I want to look at them. Yeah. <laughs> and so the twelfth house year means that you are in a time of transition. It's big endings, it's winding down, it's letting go. Um, there can be a lot of of grief, a uh, sense of loss, and a sense of gosh, I just have no idea what's next. Um, And it's really kind of one of the darkest, in air quotes, parts of the chart in the sense that you can't see what's coming up. And um, the real kind of deeper lesson in that is learning to just rest and be okay with, okay, I don't have a five-year plan. And maybe it's the first time in a long time you haven't had one. And I just need to sit with this and just let this all move through me right now. And, you know, your birthday's in April, so we're six months down, six to go. <laughs> Yay. Oh, my God, the weather will change. <laughs> I love that. I really love that. 
Well, I just thank you so much for writing your book and making astrology kind of accessible and tangible and applicable to, you know, our personal lives, our emotional worlds, and as well as helping us to understand our families and our children. I think that's a real gift. So thank you, Emma, for doing that for us. Oh, it's my absolute privilege and honour. Thank you so much for having me on and it's so nice to meet you. I feel like I already know you because I did Sheba, said I'm a super fan and I tell all my friends to get involved. (laughs) So thank you so much. Is there anything you want to say to the families out there that might be, you know, waiting to meet their little babies? I would just say um, that as hard as it is to let go of the wheel and relinquish control, trust that um, that little baby is coming to you when they are ready and try as you might, you cannot orchestrate their birth chart. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. And the exact perfect chart is going to come to you um, just as it was intended and know that there's no such thing as a bad chart. That's a really important thing to say. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And we're doing this rise of the feminine. I'm kind of extending the rise of the feminine season and talking about this sort of need and and she is so much about the feminine power that we have and that feminine side on the earth that's been, I think, quite suppressed and subjugated. Um, What would you say, like, do you feel the feminine rose through you during the whole pregnancy and birth and motherhood journey? Absolutely. Um, my north node is in Cancer, which um, is arguably the probably the sign that is most um, kind of related to femininity in, in that kind of traditional sense. And so that means my south node is Capricorn, which is considered very kind of patriarchal, masculine kind of energy. Uh, and so I really went through life up until that time kind of rejecting a lot of the feminine sides to myself definitely so addicted to the hustle and trying to make things happen which is very capricorn um i can build it i can do it and i'll do it all on my own and so leaning into that north node in cancer uh being more receptive letting things unfold in their own time prioritizing connection and compassion for myself and for the people around me rather than uh, I need to achieve things and um, control things and tick things off the list. Those were all really big, big parts of my matriescence. Um, And that's not to say that everyone who has a North Node in Cancer must immediately go out and have a baby because it's not about that. Um, But for me, it was so literal. It was so literal. It all happened. during a 12th house year. So I was letting go of that. Right. Yeah, we'll see. No wonder there was antenatal depression as well. Do you know? Exactly. It, yeah, it's really, it, it's there in the chart, even if it's placental hormones, even if there's a history, like it's it's also still represented there in the planets, right? That's amazing. 
And yeah. what do you believe or what do you feel the world would look like if the feminine was restored on our planet, that feminine power, that femininity had been restored? What would the world be like? Oh, I just, just so much more compassionate, I think, more than anything, more balanced. Um, I just immediately feel less tired thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think it would be um, a softer, sweeter, kinder place. Um, so bring it on. I love that. Thank you, darling. Thanks for sharing. So appreciative. I'm Nadine Richardson and you've been listening to The She Births Show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share with a friend and leave us a review. We'd love to know what you would like to hear more of. You can find me and my team of amazing doulas and educators at shebirths.com and our awesome community on Instagram and Facebook. Within any good app store, you can download our free pregnancy guide via she births, two separate words and plural, as well as access a range of online courses. Remember when it comes to having a better birth, an easier transition into parenthood, your education is your empowerment. Don't forget to check out the catalogue of previous podcasts and thank you for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show.